Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Senor Christopher Sinclair. And I am here with my uh, good friend, buddy, Drew Garrison. How you doing, guy? I'm doing really good, buddy. How are, how are you? You know, I, you uh, I I had a lovely day uh, driving up to the snow with the family. It was my daughter's first day in the snow. Uh, thank you to you for loaning us those boots. And uh, it was great. I had, I had a great day. She, she fell in love with the snow immediately. And now my wife can't give me uh, uh, reasons why not to go. It's perfect. It's a perfect day. Well, if I can just drive Jen a little bit crazier, that's what I'm here for. Um, and our constant pursuit to always be right in the eyes of our wives. So, right. uh, well, that's good. Yeah. Obviously, you sent me some of the pictures. I was really happy to, to contribute. It's like the nice thing about, you know, my daughter being a little bit older than yours is that if they have, if like her stuff hasn't gone to the cousins yet, we still have it. Right. Sure. So, and, um, where I live now, it's just, it's right on the, it's right on the way up to, up to the snow. So it's a, it's not too bad of a, of a stop off, you know, it was like 30 minutes from you to our final destination. It was great. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Like I think about that constantly, like when I, when I go down to Napa and I'm like, why am I not going to Truckee more? Like, this is ridiculous. Like that's so much closer now. Um, but that's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. How's everything else going? How's, how's the restaurant doing? What's going on? uh, Restaurant's beautiful, man. Uh, we're, uh, you know, coming, coming out of January, um, getting ready for, uh, uh, when this comes out, it will be on Valentine's day. So, uh, this, this podcast is, you know, we're, we're prepping for a lovely dinner, uh, and very excited about that. I love our special events. I love our regulars, man. I'm just, I I'm in love with the restaurant. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw I saw your lineup and I was like, I was like, man, I really want to go to that. Um, but, you know, just like the thought process of taking my daughter out to any restaurant is just, you know, the best. So what can I say? <laughs> uh, it's it's it, she's amazing, but she she drives me nuts. We actually had um, so we had my wife's birthday this past weekend and we went up to Nevada City and hung out at the uh you know stay at the exchange hotel which was really beautiful national exchange so if you find yourself in Nevada city check that out um and then we went out to dinner and um you know just had a really like a nice time like Nevada city is kind of you know kind of a cool older town and um i guess today my daughter my daughter was at uh my my mother-in-law's house and and told her that parents birthday parties are super boring and she only wants to go to kids once from now on because Hensley was subjected to hanging out in a really cool hotel and going to cool shops. I mean, hell, I even bought that little shit chocolates and it was still too boring for her. So, you know, I get it, it man. Is. I mean, she had a she had a jump house and trampolines and all of her friends. And yeah, yeah, we went we went big. So for our listeners at home, our, you know, so our my daughter is four and a half. She's about to turn five. But so she missed you know, or didn't miss, but you know, COVID shut down the possibility of having a couple birthday parties. So, so last year we really went, 
went above board and it's kind of like one of those things now we're like oh no is that what she thinks party's going to be every year for her so um we're thinking a beach thing this time because she she does like the beach so we'll so so we'll see nice either way it'll be good but uh but we're gonna we're gonna stop we're gonna stop boring everybody with our with our kid talk although we did get some compliments on it recently so you know i know some people can relate with us but we're gonna bring in a guest and you know one of the things that i always say during like when I do tastings and trainings with different staffs and, and things like that, I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's really easy to get a guest to come in once. It's real talent when you when they come back a second time. And tonight's guest is a two timer. We didn't burn that bridge. <laughs> yeah. Fine. It's a it's a two timer when you get invited back. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna refer to this to this young man how some of my redneck brethren on that Moonshiner show, which I can only say only watch his episode. Don't watch any of those. These people are terrible. Uh, GP Nelson? GP? Is this is this you? Oh, I'm sorry. You're no. It's Gian, our 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 good buddy from Hano Spirits. Gian, what's going on, man? Welcome back. Well, 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 gentlemen. How are you doing? <laughs> That was the best intro. I'm doing ever, really good. <laughs> I well, that's, that's what we're that's what we're going for. So, dude, I'm just saying, I would love for you to be my intro in every door I've ever opened in my life. I, I think I would go a lot further in life. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you know me right now. Like, I'm in total hustle mode. So, I'll send you some rates, and we can see we can see what we can uh, we can put together. So, so you know, I bring that up because you did make a couple appearances on the Moonshiner show, which you can watch on what was it Discovery Channel, right? Yeah, Discovery. Yep. Yeah, and so um, it was really it was really funny. So, like, you know, you're you're putting it out there for everybody. And you're like, you're like, hey, everybody, check this out. And so, um, so me and my daughter, we we watch it together. And this whole time, this guy keeps calling you GP, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And it was like, and he said it with such confidence that I was starting to think to myself, I was like, have I been calling Gian the wrong name? Like what? Like you know, like when people do that, when it just shakes your own belief system because they're so confident in what they're doing. And you gave me a pretty good like reply for that. So like, why did they call you GP as a place, as opposed to saying Gion? Well, it, it really started with the whole concept of being in like Tennessee with these guys and they were introducing all of us. Yeah. My name is Gion. Like it's, it's not a real like normal name that you find every day. And so I just started hearing it with their Tennessee accents and it was just like, the like craziest things I, I've heard, you know, and I was like, man, I'm, I do not want to be on national TV with my name like this. Like it just was one of those moments where I'm like, if I'm going to have one say, I'm going to just stop it like right now and nip it at the bud. And I was like, look, let's just go with like GP. Like that sounds way better than like Gian or like it was something crazy like that. And so I ended up, yeah, just using that for the, the two episodes I was on. And and then it just kind of like clicked. I was like, why didn't I ever just use my initials? Like that, that doesn't sound half bad either. And so um, I just kind of joke, like anytime I'm like east of the Mississippi now, it's GP. And then I'm like out here, I'm, you know. 
So. <laughs> a little bit of a difficult culture. So, you know, for you know someone who who didn't listen to the last episode that we did with Gian, which I definitely recommend going and doing it because I think it was definitely for me and for Chris and I, it was like very flattering because Gian uh, was so excited to be there for us, and now we just fangirl over him. Um, but. John is the is the is the head distiller at Lock and Union, which is this really uh, was really cool gin that was coming out of Napa, and they're going through an ownership change, I believe, still. So that is a little bit in flux, but it's just a beautiful f- facility, and you know, and as soon as they kind of get all their ducks in a row, it's going to be a really cool thing. But in addition to that, he's also been responsible for ushering in the um one of the few drinkable california agaves that i think is on the market right now and i know that upsets a lot of people and it's one of those things that it continues to grow in popularity like i just feel like there's more and more people asking questions about what's going on in california agave and there's two people that pop up and it's always craig reynolds who is the guy that's growing a lot of agave out here a good good friend of ours and then Gian, now you as well, like you're talking to these different people. I mean, hell, you were you were just on the tequila lady show, right? And yep. like those, I I love them. They're so great. I really, really wish that they would switch formats so you could go back and listen to shows. Um, like maybe do it on Twitch or something. And eventually we'll have them on our show, and I'll be like, hey, do it like this so like people can listen to them because they're you know they just continue to get really good people and they have so much fun so um definitely check them out they do interviews live interviews every tuesday night but the problem is like it doesn't record you know so it's like they cut clips out and they do a really good job of a bunch of different things but that's like the one thing i was like oh man like i wish i could go listen to that because you know i'm dealing with my kid or, or something like that but what's the what's the experience been like becoming kind of like this advocate for California agave and you know I mean because I know that you're so much in discovery mode as well and people are coming to you as like the expert yeah no like first of all the tequila ladies was like they're just absolutely amazing human beings and uh just made that hour seem so seamless and you know for me like you're saying like I'm this like California agave guy like I feel like I'm such a satellite to the agave world which is you know mostly Mexican and uh and then to be like it welcomed into that community was just something great, you know, and, and there's been some really great, uh, you know, uh, reviews. There's been a lot of positivity or at least a lot of interest in what we're doing. And so what that's really made me do is not only be even more transparent about what we're doing, but it makes me even more motivated to find the truth, to find like things that are actually that matter to um, agave in general, and then, you know, bringing that to like my philosophy of U.S. native agaves, California terroir, um, and working backwards, really like looking at regenerative agriculture for agave growing, looking at um, ancient, you know, kind of like Native American methods that, uh, you know, they were using in like Arizona, uh, places like that, and try to, you know, really pay my respects um, in, in a way, and also just try to, yeah, just try to be vocal about it. So what, I mean, what do you think like when you're, when you're talking about like native species, like what are some of the native species that exist in California that, that you're kind of referring to? Yeah. So I think I had to take the scope a little out because, you know, California has a native agave. Uh, it's the Shaw eye grows kind of like where Camp Pendleton is in South into Baja, California. Um, 
but you know we kind of took a scope and said okay let's just look at us native because to to be 100% californian it would be really hard um especially if we wanted to pivot in any way like let's say we wanted to use any other us native so we just kind of opened up the scope anywhere really there's a lot of evidence of native agave growing all the way from texas to here to utah basically that kind of pocket of the southwest um and so some of those that are really you know that we're really trying hard is um you know the agave americana which we've done uh two batches uh, at least that we've released um there is the agave perii um uh, there is the Chrysantha, the Palmerii, the Murphyi. I mean, there's just so many cool agaves that um, have been around and have hybridized through the thousands of years that we've been carrying them, you know, in our pockets as seeds or on our backs as food sources. So it's just incredible. Okay, well, that's, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I'm really excited to see kind of come to fruition because I know one of the things that, that I've been critical of is just, you know, when you have, when you have like tequila and it exists, right. And you're trying to grow blue agave, which I know some of our friends are trying to do. And they're, I mean, they really are growing beautiful fields of blue agave. I mean, it looks like the rolling, you know, hills of, of Jalisco in certain parts of, in certain parts of California. It's really crazy. But I remember just, you know, having yours for the first time and then getting it to that second batch and like the first one, I felt like needed to settle down a little bit. And Chris is nodding his head enthusiastically right now. So so I know he agrees. Um, but that second batch was like, wow, like you kind of nailed it right out the gate. And and one of the things I've been doing because, you know, now I'm a now I'm a this broker 1099 free agent type guy is <laughs> I've been I just been grabbing that bottle and taking it to people who I think are going to appreciate it. And I cannot tell you how often I pour it for somebody. And they're kind of like, wait, where is this from? And it's like this double take that they kind of have to do because they're caught off guard by the fact that that it is a California um, agave distillate. So I just want to say congrats, man. As soon as you make more, we'll figure out some deal for me to sell it for you because um, it's going well so far. People people really dig it. And I think going through the different batches is, is what's been really exciting um, thus far. I, I'm going to also throw a curveball in here and uh, in, in the conversation and not just um, point out that that Jan was making gin for Locking Union and now he's making American agave, too. But he was making single um, uh, he was making single malt uh, whiskey in the Locking Union distillery, too, which well, I went down and visited him the other day and I had never had his whiskey before. And it's fucking incredible. It's really, really, really so. So, so Jen, I don't know if, if Chris told you this, but, um, and I think all of our listeners know this at this point, but Chris and I argue all the time and very, very seldomly do we, do we see things the same way, but he like hits me up once and he's just like, or he like, you know, we do like the, the thing that we do to each other. Anytime we hang out with like a former guest, we always take a selfie, send it to the other one to, to like, be like, are you jealous? Which we always are. And then. He was like, "We should buy a bar- we should buy a barrel of Gian's whiskey." And I just went back, "Yes, we should." And he just was like, "I just wish that you were so easygoing with everything that we talk about." And I was <laughs> like, "You know, because I had had it, you know, what a few months ago." And as we, you know, as we walked through, you know, your barrel room, and I just was like, "I was like, holy shit!" So I knew exactly what I was, what I was, you know, signing up for as well. And I just was like, "Fuck yeah, dude! I'm definitely in for that." I don't know how we're gonna do it, but we're gonna do it. 
and we're going to make it work. So, um, so yeah, man, I mean, I think the, I just think the, the wild thing is like, you know, you're, you're experimenting with all this different stuff and everything is so different. And I guess maybe that's where I want to take this question is you've, you know, you're, you're, you're doing gin, which obviously it's a much different process with like infusing and stuff like that. But it's really fascinating when you talk about that and how you can smell the distillery and know exactly where they're at in the distillation process. But then you have the agave, you have the whiskey. I mean, is it, and, and then you also have this history of winemaking. So it's kind of like you can do all these different things when it comes to getting, you know, alcohol produced. Like, what's it like jumping back and forth between the different spirits? I mean, do you feel like you have to like re-engage that part of the brain or is it just kind of like, this is just so second nature at this point? Well, first of all, gentlemen, you guys always just make me blush every time we, we talk. Cause I, I look up to you guys in <laughs> in so many ways. I'm just like, are you kidding me? These, these dudes now my friends are just like, you know, uh, gushing over me. So no, man, I was going to say the feeling is always mutual with you guys. And I think that's what I love about like being in this community and like participating in, in, in a way that I can with, you know, agave and, and the other spirits that I make. And so my contribution to your guys's cool kids club is basically what I can do in front of a still. So it means a lot. And, you know, as far as how I kind of take every different spirit that I've made, um, you know, I just, I don't know. It kind of reminds me a lot of like, you know, my dad would say like, you know, if you're going to dig a ditch, like dig the best ditch you've ever dug. Right. So I really get into the process. I get into the whole method of, of, of not only the history and, you know, the, the recipe development, but just, you know, what am I trying to express when I'm distilling something, you know, what am I really trying to fulfill you know and so making a whiskey is obviously different than making a gin or a brandy or agave um and so i just really want to hone in on that one particular thing that makes me go wow like this this is incredible this is the incredible part about this kind of spirit um and so you know when i when we have these production schedules to me it it just i i love to have the ability to say now that most of these do feel like second nature but i'd never stop wanting to do better, whatever that is, whether it's more efficient or a flavor profile or, you know, just the other day I asked you guys about rum. Like I have no idea about a lot of the rum and I know you guys are just like in your whole, like in your, in your own league. And so it's just like, I'm, I'm never done with, with it, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and I look forward to the day that that you know you you run those stills and and do the rum because that's always like one of my i at some point i want to distill rum chris i don't know if you have that on your bucket list but i think that would be super cool to do as well and figure out how we can make that a reality um without killing ourselves may or may not have um crossed that bridge already Okay, well, you stand on the other side and just wave me, wave me through. How about that? Yeah. Let's let's uh, pay the piper. Let's get, yeah. Let's let's go ahead and do that. So, all right. So you know you, you have you you have these different projects going on. You're you're doing these different things. I mean, is there like so like like the rum is next? Was like is there anything else that you kind of feel? And I'm sure there are things, but like like what's kind of next? Like what do you feel like? Okay, like I've been doing these different things. I'm having these super unique experiences. I'm talking with rednecks on Tennessee, you know, on moonshine in Tennessee. I, again, I like, okay. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Gian did get eliminated in the show 
but I spent, you know, 30 minutes watching that. And I, and I, and I got to tell you, I was like, it's like, if I have to watch these guys talk for like more episodes, <laughs> as if Gian progresses through this, like, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Um, so I was like disappointed because I know you're much more talented than that, but I was also kind of relieved because I was like, I cannot handle how these people talk and how ridiculous this dude is dressed in overalls and no, sh- no shirt underneath it. It's like, what are we doing? We're on national television. Clean it up. It, it, I'll, I'll, I just wanted to say really quick too, like, it, you know, for me, the experience was everything, you know, and knowing these guys, like the, they're the really awesome dudes, the production crew was incredible. And that culture is so alien to us in the West, you know, it really is this moonshine culture. And so for me, it was really interesting to be like on this, like incredibly outside perspective, like almost a foreigner in our own country, you know, and, and, and not in a bad way, but it was so funny. Cause like I work at a craft distillery with a lot of rules and a lot of regulations. I make spirits that are very classic, very, you know, I wouldn't say standard, but you know, just not, apple pie moonshine or something crazy like that and so it was really one of those times where you just soak it in and you just take it like a sponge and then you just go take it home and you squeeze it out and you go put it somewhere else because it was definitely well twice in a lifetime now but um yeah it was uh that that that's really really where it was that's just it's just so funny so then what i mean what would you like to do next i mean is there is there another like aspect of the business, whether it be distilling something, going to a distillery that you're kind of like, I need to see how those guys do it or those gals? Yeah, the, yeah guys and gals got, you know, there's so many talented people out there. And I think, you know, a lot of what I want to do, I, I will say when I found agave, like I found my home, to be honest, I really found like that's something that I really felt like I can excel at and something I could really pour myself into. Uh, and so I guess on that end, I've really been focusing a lot on the um, on the farming side of agave, um, germinating uh, seeds, uh, looking at regenerative farming practices, looking at different uh, plots of land through California to either lease or buy to, you know, really make, you know, what Hano mission statement was, which was to, um, you know, grow these native agaves in a um terroir or environment that is similar to their uh you know um historic places and see if the flavor profile will be different so my latest kind of like endeavor really has been on the agricultural side um but on the distilling side i think that's the other kind of curiosity is like you said walking into other distilleries i was just at savage and cook the other day uh uh, getting a cup of sugar or yeast from them and just walking in there going like, Oh my God, this is so different from what I do every day. Like I want to spend an eight hour shift here, just learning how to cook and distill and be a, a real bona fide like whiskey, you know, uh, maker. And that, that really fascinated me. So, um, like I said, I want to know, I, I got to know my metal and I really got to, you know, um, obsess over that, but there's just so many cool things out there. And, Listen to your guys' podcast, man. I want to go to like Chihuahua now and, and go see how Sotol is made. I want to go to La Luna, Michoacan, and see how they make mezcal. Like I, it, it just blows my mind. Well, we know those people, so we can make that happen. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah. just yeah, you do. Oh, you I think so I think cool. that's like the like the like the fun part, uh, you know, about this show. Like has has been has been that where we we do get exposed to 
a lot of fun things. And, um, and yeah, you know, if, if our listeners haven't listened to last week's, last week's episode with, with Ricardo Pico about, about Sotol production, like, man, that was, that was incredible. It was really, really fun. And it was very, very informative. And I mean, and again, I think that, and you know, we've been doing this for five seasons and I still feel like we're just scratching the surface of really the spirits world and, and things like that, which is, um, which is pretty wild to, to think about. Um, but okay, well that sounds, that sounds great. And now if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, man, I really, I really need to get some, some Hano in my life. I mean, where, where are places that they can track it down that you know that it's still in stock right now? Cause I know we've, it's been a little bit since batch two came out, but can you think of any off the top of your head where you're like, oh yeah, go here and get it? Uh, yeah, no, it's a good question because like our website has kind of like where to find us or at least like the locations that we know, or, you know, have carried it in the past. Um, I know places like Ledger's Liquor in, in Berkeley has it. Um, I think uh, Gary's in St. Helena is about to pick up another couple bottles there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the website uh, kind of lead you in the, in the right direction there. Or just send me a message and I'll, I'll go track one down for you. No problem. Um, Old Town right. Tequila Ships, I know, and uh, Tohono Mercado in San Francisco also carries it plus ships. So, and that, that store is awesome. I finally got to make it out there a couple weeks ago and um, spent some time with Steven, who who runs it. And man, talk about a beautifully curated collection of uh, of mezcals, tequilas, and agave distillados, and wine. He does a lot of wine as well, so which is which is really cool. Um, awesome. Well, I now think it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so the first article we are going to jump into is actually from um, it's from last year, so it's not as recent. So I do apologize for that, but. Again, as I mentioned this past weekend, the wife and I went out to dinner with our crazy four-year-old. And at one point, we got offered the wine list. And it was only wines by the glass. And so we've all been there. You look at these lists and you're kind of like, what the hell am I going to order? I'm at a point now in my wine journey. And Chris is partly to blame for this and a few other people in our life where I am so gun shy when it comes to California wines um because of the different additives and things that can be put into it and so this article now and i do want to clarify there are a lot of amazing california wineries so this is not all of them it's just there's just so many and i feel like i don't have the information to always know but this one talks about mega purple and is the wine ingredient that nobody will talk about and then um except for the people who don't use it and so gian you used to make wine for our listeners, what is Mega Purple and why is it so prevalent in winemaking? So in a nutshell, like Mega Purple is a grape concentrate made from Ruby Red and kind of other, you know, grapes that um, is, is this concentrate that they'll add to the wine to give the wine color, um, sweetness, um, some body, things like that. And so they'll add that to... Um, the winemaking process during harvest, um, you know, sometimes during the, you know, pre-bottle stages as well. It just really depends on, on who you are and, uh, you know, it just kind of makes your wine a little bit more, I don't know, 
oh, like what like what's the right word because it, it's not like more complex and it's not more you know uh rich it just makes it more oomph you know to someone who you know is purchasing a 12 15 bottle of wine or, or when i'm reading this article too there's you know higher-end producers using this bold is that bolder 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 uh, bigger more yeah, aggressive darker. yeah exactly like, like a bolder you know more you know forward wine um that you would naturally get let's be honest with with some of this stuff And okay, so 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 that's so that's a big perp. So it's this additive that's actually that's get added after um, the stuff has been has been harvested. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll switch this to Chris. I mean, Chris, why do you think something like this stuff works? I mean, in the article, it talks about mega purple could help wines get slightly higher scores. Um, you know, because they're taking into account the color of the wine. So it's obviously darkening it up in, in that way, but also as you just pointed out, the, the bolder taste, but like, why do you think it, be, it became so prevalent um, and why it's kind of like the thing that doesn't get talked about in winemaking as much now? I mean, additives are a thing in all booze, right? Uh, whether it's whiskey, whether it's agave, whether it's rum, um, it, it just exists, right? It, it will always exist because occasionally there are flaws or occasionally you just you need a shortcut you know there's something you can you can add that will just make make this pop right i mean in in the most innocent way you can think about it like adding salt into cooking um in the not so innocent way you could think of it as i don't know like whatever it is that they do to gatorade and other things, you know, like whatever it is that you're, you're consuming. There's <clears throat> whether it's whiskey and you're adding caramel coloring, right. Or whether it's agave and you're adding agave nectar back into it, whether it's uh, something that's more formal, you know, uh, and you're talking about you know, cognac and brandies and you're talking about dressage. Um, there's, there's sugar gets added into places in greater or lesser, um, amounts you know my issue with it is is so much less about the fact that it happens and so much more about transparency you know mm. like i i i could care less man like it, if you put if you're putting a few drops into a batch or you know a gallon into a batch and um and it comes out and i'm like yeah sure fine this tastes good with my hamburger or with my steak or you know whatever you know, if it tastes good, you know, proof's in the pudding, you know, go ahead, go ahead. You know, is it, is it as complex? Probably not. No. Uh, and it's adding just a little, little level, um, just to, just to take that, that wine up a notch. So it actually sells right off the, off the shelf and people get paid. And if that's what is required, fine. Um, and there are people who are really proud of not doing that. And that's also fine. That's great. Um, but on the consumer side of things, it's like it's it's not fair to keep people in the dark. It's not fair to not tell people. It's not fair to to have misinformation about sulfites, right? When we're not when we're, people are freaking out about sulfites, which are totally naturally occurring, you know, and we're not talking about mega purple or the plethora of other um, additives from many other brands that have that have brand names to them. Right. Like it, it's OK to do it. 
you know, and there should be good, um, a good solid conversation about it, but hiding it is, is always the issue. Well, I mean, is there anybody who actually does come out and say that we use this? I mean, and, and I guess when you're talking about transparency, I mean, you, you know, we are trying to get to a point where we know what we're consuming, right? Like with anything. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that natural wine has had like this really big boom over the last couple of years is because people are curious about what they're consuming and, and what they're getting into. Um, but I mean, if you're, if you're this producer who, you know, is producing this $15 wine that, you know, benefits from, from the big purple additive. I mean, is there a way to put that onto packaging? I mean, you know, Gian, that's something that you have to worry about with packaging. I mean, is that something that you would be like, Hey, how do we, how can I convey this at this is, this does make it significantly better and still keeps your costs low. Like how do, how would you go about it? It's funny that I'm just thinking back about like, you know, what I look at as far as like winemaking or any kind of production. And it's just like, I want to know how many hands were involved, you know, whether it was like machine harvested, you know, if it's, if it's you know additive free, I know that's huge in tequila right now, but I, I definitely think that there should be at least some, way of letting the consumer know that they are using adjuncts and, and other, you know, additives to make their wine. And that's why they can buy it at a competitive price versus paying for a very ultra premium bottle wine that, you know, was very much handmade. Uh, so, so with that being, I mean, are you, so you brought up you brought up tequila, which you know one of the things that we've talked about on the show a lot is like tequila matchmaker. You know, mm-hmm. tequila matchmaker is not a foolproof system, but it's a pretty good system in order to look up tequilas and find out whether or not they're using additives. Now, again, like I said, it's not it's not foolproof, but Grover and his wife do a very very amazing job. Uh, those are the people who started the app. They they're constantly following up. They're certifying tequilas, you know, additive free. Um, I mean, is there, is there anywhere for a consumer to look? I mean, like I know, I mean, I have some, some friends in the rum business that like do the deep dives on like German labels. Cause like in Germany, you have to label everything that goes into your spirits, which is like wild. So like the, you can find out like what, you know, dosage levels are of sugar and whatnot, but in wine, I mean, you know, I guess you put it to either one of you. We'll start, actually, we'll start with you, Chris. Like, do you know of anywhere that people can look up to kind of be like, Hey, this is this is a trusted resource that's going to let you know if there's more than just grape juice in your wine. Uh, it certainly doesn't go as deep um, on the production side as uh, as a um, tequila matchmaker, but Wine Searcher, so Wine Searcher has some um, you know pretty good facts about about wineries and whatnot on there. Okay, what about you, Gian? Do you have any uh, suggestions? You know, I'm just thinking about like because like. You know, Vivino is very good. It's almost like kind of like crowdsourced or like, you know, the Yelp of wine, which is kind of nice if, if people can tell you, you know, um, that there is is something. They'll have kind of like professional reviews there. But I, I do think like in wine, it's a lot more kind of like secretive and kind of under the table than, than other things. Yeah. I mean, and Vino is good. I mean, Vino, for, for those of you who don't know, Vino is, is the um... – like when you're in the airport and there's a wine bar there, it's, it's a vino. <laughs> like that's they carry large brands. Uh, they've got a really fantastic website. Um, you can find them all over the country. 
um, but that's their web their website's pretty 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 darn good you know and, and if we're talking about other places like that i would say can can l wines they do a, a fantastic job of describing their wines yeah yeah i mean i think they're you know outside of outside so i mean so let, let's let's make it all about me again because that's really what we're here for is me and you guys you guys know that but <laughs> and i know this is this is basically an impossible question but you know you, you have a caveman like me. I'm sitting here looking at a California wine list. I've been hurt before. Um, fortunately, they had a bottle list, and I was able to get a Burgundian Chardonnay, which was fantastic and, and the right way to go. But if I'm not willing to buy a bottle and do want to go with a glass, I mean, you know, Gian, is there a is there a region in California where kind of like you know what they usually don't mess with their stuff like they usually kind of leave it alone is there is there anything that jumps out at you or you just kind of like yeah you, you know you just don't know everyone does different things at different places so or maybe I a great variety yeah I do think it's that broad and I think that's like what the hard part is is like you know I personally try to recommend people you know, to look at the, the wine label through a microscope, like how small is that vineyard? Like how small is that producer? You know, um, how transparent are they on their label? You know, does it make claims? Does it not make claims? You know, do they say it was like hand harvested by pygmy children or was it, you know, um, my second grandfather's wish to make this wine? It, 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 there's so many different marketing angles you can hit this, but I think that, you know, as far as like California, I think there's just a really big mixed bag out there. And I think it's, you know, just part of the industry, um, which is, you know, partly why I drink a lot of international wines myself um, and know my producers as well. So I know kind of like what I, I'm drinking. Yeah, kind of. it definitely does seem kind of like the safer bet at this point for myself. Just, um, you know, like when you get burned buy like a you know a wine like that by by the glass you're just kind of like like oh i should have i should have known better um chris what about you i mean is there have you developed any methods that you're kind of like hey this has served me well and maybe people can benefit from this thought process oh i again i i'll go back to my previous statement of just saying i i care a lot less about wine additives i think um sort of as a sort of as a as a as a broad statement um that being said i definitely give a shit about solid winemakers uh and the california winemakers i tend to drift towards these days are uh are leaning more natty anyway um they not you know some add sulfites not every not every natty wine is zero zero but um you know and when you say zero zero what does that but mean? like just no additives whatsoever um that there are some that still fit into the natty category that have like you know just a touch of sulfite or or something like that you know and it's, it, it it just helps balance out and make the make the wine more commercially stable right because you mm -hmm. don't know once 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 a you know a batch of wine leaves the winery you don't it's out of your control right like so how long it sits on the shelf, how long it sits at the distributor, you know, does the truck get, you know, sideswiped and have to sit on the side of the road for an extra day or something like that. Like you just don't know what's, what those things are. So like things like sulfites just make, you know, adding a little, a little 
NO2 gas to the um to the batch just makes everything a lot lot more stable. And so the the winemaker can can guarantee the product a little bit better. That being said, I again I don't I don't really care as much. If the wine tastes good and 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 once that bottle gets cracked open and and I'm in good company, I don't care as much, you know. I you know, also I, I I'm I, not yeah. convinced that the additives, you know, give you hangovers too. And and that's that's a whole other side of the you know you know misinformation sphere i mean is there is there a type of additive that you're kind of like like yeah i'm pretty good with most things but like uh, keep that shit out of my out of my wine is there anything that falls into that category i was gonna say something opposite actually that you know there are some kind of natural methods that i i, I knew when i was making wine that kind of help the, the process you know there were like enzymes you could use that break down the the grape skin just a little bit more and get kind of give you like a deeper richer color you know for some varietals like like syrah you know co-fermenting syrah with viognier would get you a nice darker you know color things like that and um so you know tartaric acid is a natural thing you can add that to wine to adjust your ph's during fermentations there's there's ways of doing it that don't seem so intrusive, you know, and then there's also, you know, yeah, like the big ones, like, you know, the mega purple we're talking about. And, um, you know, I can't think of all of them off the top of my head, but there are, there's definitely like the one that kind of gets me is like Oak additives. To me, that's the one that really drives me nuts. And I'm not not saying that like every you know, ounce of wine I've ever drank came from like a beautiful like wine barrel. But I'm just saying that like <clears throat> when it's bad, it's really bad. And that's that I, I guess for me, that's the one that, that I just can't stand. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you on that. I, I'm also I, you know, oak additive gets added to, you know, rum and, you know, Reposado tequila really often. And it just it it. That's the one that gets me too. It's like that and, and weird sugar additives that aren't even necessarily sugar, but they're like sweeteners for some reason, just because people like stuff a little bit sweeter. My For me, my palate, it's like I, and I say this not to say that I have an amazing palate, which I fucking do, of course, obviously. Have you met me? I'm incredible. But, <laughs> uh, but consuming so much booze so often and tasting so many bottles day in, day out, uh, it's like those things, they just, they jump right out at me, uh, wh- it, whether it's booze, whether it's like spirits, whether it's wine. Yeah. That, that Oak flavoring just kills me. Yeah, no. And I, and I think that's like, but that's like part of it, right. Is the, the more that you expose yourself uh, to, to good things, like it is harder to kind of go back. I mean, um, you know, tonight we, we celebrated my wife's birthday with, with her parents and, um, you know, they, they really enjoy a glass of, of Rumbauer. You know, and my mother-in-law is the only person in this world who I will buy Rumbauer for, you know, because love her to death and that's what she wants. And my father likes it, too. And so we were sitting there and we were drinking some we were drinking some uh, some white Burgundians, some from uh, Merceau. And like the whole time, they're just like, like, it's like, these are amazing. I'm like, I know. I know they're amazing. This is what I'm trying to convert you to, you know. And so, you know, they, they can appreciate it. And, and I, and I do like that. And, and I can say now that like my wife is like fully trans, you know, transformed into 
the 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 wine connoisseur as well which is amazing it's such a i mean i just take victory laps every day because of that one where there's a little bit more of that discerning discerning palette but but chris i get it i mean it's like one of those things where it's like yeah it's like i'm sorry i've I've had too many things that it's really that, that that doesn't mean that I still can't be wowed. That doesn't mean that I can't be exposed to something new, but it's almost like you find out a lot quicker what you don't like than what you do like, you know what I mean? Well, that that you... is so important, right? I mean, that, that is, you know, when I, when I'm talking to my staff and we're training and we're talking about how to sell products, how to talk to our guests about products, understanding why somebody doesn't like something is almost more important than what they like right why like what what about this thing do you not like and why yeah. right right and as as a professional it's my job to really get to the root of the whys that the guest it's not their job to necessarily always understand the whys but but for me it's like okay you don't like x y and z the common thread about this is this thing. And and this one aspect might be something that I, I fucking love. Right. And, and I tell, I tell my guests all the time, like, look, don't ask me what I like. I'm a heathen, you know, like you, <laughs> there's almost no way you're going to enjoy what I enjoy, but right. Right. Understanding what you enjoy and understanding definitely what you don't like allows me to get you into, to a much better position. Yeah, I often say that I'm a masochist when it comes to my palate and you should not like follow the things that that I drink, you know. It's just it's just not not a good idea. Yeah. You know, it, it, can I say one thing too is like, you know, when you're talking, you know, because uh, I love educating people, that's why, you know, when I got into wine like being in a tasting room or uh, saw them at a restaurant was like my my most favorite roles because you really get to showcase like your industry right and like my biggest thing i think i talked about on the podcast last time was that you know you really have to understand why they're doing these things you know they're cutting the costs and why they're they're manipulating these wines and i think a big part of it is like the wine industry can't sustain how available wine has gotten in the last five or six years um i can remember when i first made wine like 10 years ago i was like the one person in my friends group or like uh in my inner circle that like actually drank wine you know it was not in our age group yet and then now like you see every gen z person you know huge generalization but they're just like all over wine it comes in a can now you can get anywhere uh and you're getting you know somewhat better quality than just like your you know you're either getting the you know two hundred dollar bottle you're getting the ten dollar bottle and the and everyone's filled the the gap in between so i like to kind of let people know why they're getting these additives in their wines that they're trying to stretch, you know, their, their intake. There's only so many vines in the world that are going to make you wine, just like there is like agave, you know, out in the fields, like they have to stretch it somehow with the demand on the industry right now. And I'm not saying I defend it, but you know, if I can at least understand where the motivation is coming from, it makes the sell a lot easier for someone to, to embrace it, I guess. Well, and as yeah. a consumer too, right? Like once you understand that and you're like, yeah, I'm fine with spending $15 if this is what it means, you know, like I enjoy it. It tastes good. I'm down, you know, yeah. they get paid. It means I will be able to continue to drink this wine that I enjoy. Fine. Right. But again, it comes down to knowing it. I, you know, it, it to go way back to your, your, your cop and drew about <clears throat> packaging. I'm a huge proponent for, um, you know, consumer, uh, you know, consumer laws, 
I, I really think the consumer deserves to have all the information and, and deserves to be protected. I, um, I, if we were to put something on the label, it would probably be like, uh, like agave is doing it. Like this is additive free, you know, and have that actually mean something and have it be, you know, the TTB already is checking in on so many things. They can, that to me, that's a no brainer, right. To, to add that to the, to the laundry list of things that are consumer protection laws. That's such an easy regulation to just be like, okay, your bottle gets an asterisk because it's not additive free. Hmm. Your bottle does not get an asterisk because you're good. Right. Like that's such an easy one to me. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see it unfold. So like, I know like one of the things that's happened with, um, with like Pachugas from, from the Mezcal world. So uh, for our listeners, a Pachuga is typically, um done with some sort of meat so during either the second or third distillation they will either put like that they'll suspend the meat over the top of the distillate or they'll do like some sort of like gin basket and then have the vapors pass through it that's that's how they do these and um the uh ttb started to get involved to the point and these are the people who you know regulate all labels and formulas and things like that where they're like you need to start putting what all the different things are that are going into this pachuga on your bottle so if you've noticed mezcal bottles because you haven't like the the pachugas went way down because a lot of people didn't want to do that um but the ones that are doing that when you look at their their pachuga now it's like it's like oh wow there's these are all these things that are in that which is really interesting because they don't require that of gin they don't require that of any other spirit right so like so it is possible but it's not happening and that just is what i think is the curious thing is that it's not happening um okay well i think obviously we could talk about this forever but i we have to talk about this other story so let's go on to the next one so this was actually sent to me earlier today by my college roommate because when you're the only booze person that anybody knows (laughs) these things come to you right um so a lorg an organ lorgan jesus an organ liquor agency head resigns amid bourbon hoarding scandal um, so the executive director of Oregon's Liquor Regulatory Agency announced his reg- resignation today amid a criminal investigation to allegations that he and other senior officials used their positions to divert rare sought after bourbons for personal use. So when these things like pappies and um, B-tax and different prize bourbons came through they would send them to a liquor store that was close to their offices and then they would go and uh, collect them there where they would be used as gifts and for personal consumption and the only thing i have to say about this earth shattering news is oh my god no shit this happens everywhere um actually you know i i will say one part of this story really surprised me and it's the fact that they um, actually sent it somewhere, <laughs> so they go pick it up, and then yeah, like some I guess strange, some strange attempt to remain compliant. Like <laughs> that, that was like they they made an effort. You know, they did take that one extra step to kind of be like, we're almost legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Do you well, think that they sent me. it? Do you think that they sent it there as samples, or do you think that they went there and actually like paid for them? Ooh, I bet they played. I bet they they paid wholesale. Yeah, I I and not on all of them, but I bet on some of them. And I bet that liquor store was really happy because they definitely got some too. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a sweetheart deal that they have worked out um, with that. And so, you know, again, I think this is this is such a silly story because this is something that I feel like happens all over, and um, it's, the, it's, it's the, not. It's absolutely the most common. I mean, everything everything down to you know liquor store clerks not putting booze on shelves, like and right. just buying it themselves, right? Like that's absolutely right. like it's not illegal it's not legal it's you know i for the for the execs it's a little bit more illegal they should be paying they should be paying for it um right but i mean this is as prevalent as it gets yeah and i think the um like you know this this is also kind of kind of playing into you know one of our other like recent news stories where you know, you have you have Sazerac who's who's breaking off a lot of their distribution uh, chains, and they're they're going to um, the world's they, they worst beer distributor on the planet, the world's worst beer distributor in California. Yep. And it's funny because like I've seen I've seen this feedback um, from from people where they're like, it's going to be easier to get these rare bourbons now. I was like, oh my god, no, it's not. It is going to be so much harder. You're introducing a whole new group of people into this distribution line. Um, I saw today in a group that Eagle Rare is now popping up at Walmart. So if you can imagine that Eagle Rare is now being sold at Walmart, what that distribution number looks like for them, which means independents will get even less bottles, which means secondary is going to skyrocket. And, you know, and again, like, you know, who's going home with that is managers and, and stuff like that. So um, I don't know, you know, Gianna, as a, as a producer, I mean, do you, do you aspire for the days where people are just, you know, taking, taking your product in the front door and then putting it in the back of their car out the back? Or what, what do you think? <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine like the Walmart manager coming over and saying, yeah, man, I can't, I'm so pumped that Hano finally made it to the shelves. That'll be the day that I can actually <laughs> say something like that. I don't know. For me, it was like when I was slinging the lock and union gin around like downtown Napa, like, you know, around um, California in general, like I got kind of a taste on how things work, you know, how the, the game is played, you know, and things like that. And I didn't really participate all that much because I was just like a happy go lucky craft distiller who, I don't know. I was more involved in like our story and our passion and like, you know, what we can bring to the community and like, you know, all that. And so when these guys are like playing all these games and I'm asking you guys about how the second and third tier works, like it fascinates me, like the whole world that is like away from me every day, you know, I'm, I'm at a distillery or I'll talk about Hano and I'll just, you know, if you support it, you support it. And it's a very like, honest transaction i'm not out there you know giving you something for it or i'm not out there uh you know making you know false promises or anything like that so when i hear you know sometimes you guys or other people that i know talk it just blows me away yeah i mean i mean again it's 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 one of those things that like when i read it it just it's just funny because you're just kind of like like yeah and water's wet i mean (laughs) I mean, what are Water's we doing? Not wet. The things that are in water are wet, Drew. Come on. Oh my! Well, look at now. You should go work at. You should go work at Southern. You'd be fit in just perfect there. Um, but uh, but yeah. So so basically, these are things that shouldn't happen, and they are happening. And the next time, you know, for our listeners, if you want to go and criticize independent retailers for having 
museum quote unquote museum prices on these rare bourbons. Just this these are the people they're dealing with. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they're having I, to buy I think that's fireball. Like a, that's a really good point too, right? Like especially now with especially now with golden brands getting their hands on um uh, on Sazerac. It, for the record, I, I am not convinced Sazerac's gonna stay with, with Golden Brands. I'm very Oh much, no 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 very it's, they're, they're not that they're they're it's, just they're using them as a as, it's a one year contract. Yeah. It's a one year contract. They're gonna so bounce over to breakthrough. They exactly they're yeah. they're with breakthrough. Breakthrough just bought into um California, California. which yep. which I don't I know we talked about. It. I don't know if we talked about it on here. Yeah, I don't think um, we did. So they're now gonna it's gonna be the big three. So breakthrough bought wine warehouse which was one of the biggest distributors so now breakthrough coming from the rest of the rest of the states is coming in i i know i chris i totally agree i think it was a holdover um it seemed i've i've heard conflicting reports in that rndc was already forcing sazerac out of the book and then sazerac came came back and was like oh yeah well we're leaving and it's like well you can't leave i already told you to leave you can't be the one that's leaving i find that like, oh yeah find well, that so hard to believe i mean they make like, well, so much well, they make so much money off of that off that whiskey and, and i agree i mean and again i think you you know you talk to the right rep and then um so who knows with with this stuff but i know there's lawsuits involved and and all those fun things it's just yep. a real nasty nasty situation maybe one day um we'll have a couple retired Sazerac and a couple retired RNBC <laughs> reps come in and we can really get into it. It'll be, it'll be fun. So I mean, I mean uh, you know, can I ask you guys a question about that though? Because like I said, I'm on the producer side and I guess like for me, when I look at like the actual control state of Oregon versus like someone like RNBC or one of the big guys, how do you guys feel about like whether it's the state or it's the big, you know, companies like, you know, is there more or less like, shame i don't know it just feels weird when it's like the state doing this uh versus like the company making money you got uh, chris you i'll let you start okay i i i don't care as long as we don't end up like utah or texas um yeah. Because I, I've dealt with both uh, independent distributors who refuse to carry things, and I've heard horror stories from friends, you know, who couldn't get green chartreuse for years, right? Like, it just it's it just sort of the way that it goes. Uh, I think most, most of the states are getting better at their, at their distribution when they're in control of it. But honestly, I, I'm not in the prediction game, but... I think that we're going to head towards some sort of national um, sort of regulation. That's I see it coming, especially when you're looking at Amazon getting into, into the liquor game. Like there's no way that, that the feds don't jump in on this and sort of homogenize the practice across, across the board, at least in some fashion. Uh, I mean, I, I think it'll be I think it'll be tough um, for I mean, I, I, I don't disagree that there won't be an attempt by the federal government. I think when that level of money starts getting made and it's a little bit more consolidated because like, you know, again, this this is a state by state decision that, that gets made. And there's a lot of states who obviously take their state decisions very seriously. Um, and you can bet that liquor boards that in state controlled um, places like they make a lot of money off of this, right? Uh, but even the same way that California probably makes a ton of money off of taxes with booze sales and, and things like that as well. So 
Um, in terms of like what feels grosser, I mean, I don't know. I guess I feel the same way that I feel about politicians as I do with most major like distributor reps and things like that, especially when you get into management. And it's just like, I get it. It's kind of a sleazy game and you got to play sleazy games to, to make it happen. And it is what it is. Like, I still think a lot of, like, I mean, I have friendships with a lot of them and they're not all like that, but, um, I don't know if one makes me feel worse than, than the other. Um, I think the, you know, it's, it, it, but I will say I do take a little satisfaction in this, right. Just kind of like, kind of getting like checked with their arrogance, you know, it's cause like, Oh, we can just do this. And it's like, well, you can't, you know, at least this guy can't anymore. So, um, yeah, I'm wondering what he did know. that actually caused this to happen. Well, <laughs> I mean, with, it, with the it, problem it might... being so prevalent, like who did he yeah. piss off to, to, to have them go after him for this? Well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's just like the same issues that are, that our alcohol board faces here in California. I think that those agencies are stretched so thin that they really don't have the means to go after some of the bigger fish and, and things like that. Like they just kind of do things like go to the local supermarket and drill holes in displays. So they can't be used. Yeah, you know? uh, it's like true. I mean, like California, California, things... ABC has been so completely defunded. It's, it's really embarrassing. And yeah. It makes, I mean, it, it makes it's... our jobs harder as, as people who are actively attempting to be, be good citizens and good, good business people, you know, like following the rules and doing things the right way they shouldn't be as hard as they are but they are increasingly more difficult because these agencies have been increasingly defunded over years and years and years yeah and i and, and again so what i was going to get to with that is like you know because it's it's basically like a self-policing thing is like typically the only time that you get into trouble with abc or these agencies is when somebody rats you out right and i bet that's what happened um well, let me go back to his name. Um, it to me, uh, Steve, Steve Marks, he he pissed off the wrong person. That's what he did. And they went and left an anonymous tip that he was doing this. And it and, you know, he, he got cocky. So that's what it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So again, water's wet. At least the things in the water are wet. There we go. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, now it's time for my favorite part of the show. That is the dope follows. This could be a podcast, book, Instagram account, general street interaction. I don't know. (laughs) Something that we think is dope that you guys need to check out. (laughs) So, So, Gian, kick us off. Who's your dope follow this week? Uh, I definitely got to give it to our girl, uh, Tess Lampert over here with her new, uh, uh, the essential tequila mezcal companion book. Um, that has been my delightful read, uh, this last maybe week, uh, just the photography, the, everything she's putting in there, the reference guide is just such an awesome, like on the coffee table, whenever I want to pick my own, you know, pick the brain of agave it's there um and then i guess i'll I'll give another one really quick too is uh john kemp he's a a regenerative agricultural guy uh from aea uh has a podcast that just talks about regenerative farming and has different farmers on from different parts of the industry and talks about 
how, you know, developing your soil structures and all of your, you know, kind of organic farming can actually make you more product and a better product overall. And so it's just been super fun to listen to that on the way home. What's the name of the podcast? Uh, I think it's called the Regenerative Farming Podcast. Nice. <laughs> it's it's a pretty pretty simple yeah name. Pretty straightforward, right to the point. I like it. Yeah. Okay, Chris, who's your who's your dope follow? Um, uh, I've been getting pretty nerdy with cocktails again. And when I say nerdy, I mean nerdy, nerdy. <clears throat> um, uh, doing in no small part to uh, uh, having some competition here in Sacramento in the in the hands of Johnny Cod, who's now running the program at Ella. The man is a mastermind and magician with cocktails. Um, he is a fucking genius, and he just is forcing me to up my game. But with that, I've been looking through resources, using things for sounding boards. I came across one that I uh, have absolutely fallen in love with, and it's called MolecularRecipes.com, and it's all about molecular gastronomy and mixology. So if you're a huge nerd and uh, you have ideas and you want to see if you can make magic, uh, it's a it's a great resource uh, of a blog to, to sort of uh, jump around and, and get inspiration from. Love it. Love it. Um, okay. So I'm going to do some um, shameless self-promotion right now. Uh, we didn't get too much into it uh, last week, but I have started a, a new adventure. So after five years with my former distributor, I stepped away and um, took the month of December off, which I cannot recommend enough. Wow. You guys really want to take care of yourself. Just don't work in December. It is it is the best. Um, That's nice for you. But, you know, for you. it was nice for me. I agree. I agree. That's why I just want to just want to make sure that people know about it. Um, but, you know, I've come back and working for a broker now, and it's been a really great situation. Uh, the two brands that I am um, the most focused on, I have a couple of different ones that I'm working with and continue to roll them out. But uh, one is the Lost Explorer Mezcal, and the other one is Cosgabel Tequila. So go check those out online. Um, they're really, really fun products. I'm sure we'll get more into them and have some people from those brands come onto the show eventually. But uh, but yeah, that's just kind of what I'm getting into, and it's it's been fun thus far um really really cool and unique products to work with so what's the uh um, what's the name of your your broker your your personal brokerage so i don't have so so the way it worked out was i got brought into a broker which is actually called the bev the beverage accelerator and then um they were like well we're going to uh 1099 you which i was like well that's awesome so then i turned around and started my own little thing uh for you know uh, to set, to establish like an S corp and stuff. And I was like, well, I'm going to have some fun with this as well. And came up with um, a thing I've been wanting to do for a while, which is called divergent spirits. And it's just going to be, you know, uh, talking with a couple of different brands right now. And I've signed a couple already. And it's just another little adventure, another way of uh, expanding. And it'll also include like, you know, the private tastings, which uh, Chris, we have to work together. I have some fun ones coming up. that would like to include you in on. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's Divergent Spirits, and we had that um, Agave Van Gogh on Instagram designed a logo for me, and I basically it was just like I wanted to look like Batman with agave and sugarcane, and he totally nailed it. Like it is insane what he came up with. Like I'd say go check out my Instagram, and you can see his logo. And then he did this like really in depth description of like how he came up with it and stuff, and it's basically like 
the pink leaves coming out the side and then the middle of what would looks like the agave is is crossed sugarcane stalks um with divergent spirits written right below it. it's really fucking dope he did an amazing job like i said i just was like batman and booze and he like made it look cool so um so again agave, i guess maybe that's another dope follow so if you haven't checked that out check out agave van gogh so it's pretty dope nice yeah those are pretty those are those are uh those are some pretty dope follows good job guys Music for the uh, Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated by Leon and Chase Moore and produced uh, fine by us two guys. Before we go and kill these bottles that we have not been drinking tonight, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, leave us that five-star review, tell your friends. And wait for me to pull up my script, and then I can say things like, you can go and follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast, or you can follow me at dgarrison6 or Chris at Kristen Flair. Uh, Gian, where can they find you on the interwebs? Where can they find Hano? Where's Tell us all the things. <laughs> so they can find uh, Hano Spirits on Instagram, Hano Spirits, and then they can find me at El Hano Blanco. We should, we should point out that Hano for white people is Jano. So <laughs> yeah, J-A-N-O. Right. <laughs> I do think that we need to make that very clear. It's J-A-N-O. Hano. Oh, man. I need to put slash that on my forehead, dude. <laughs> Jano. So um, that's great. Make sure you guys check it out. <laughs> if uh, you would like for us to cover a story or make fun of how you pronounce words, uh, please feel free to reach out to us at the good bottle podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and as a reminder, one of these days, Chris will have a bottle shop again it's and coming. you can buy bottles from it. Coming. It's coming. Lease is this close to being signed. And I'm, my fingers. Um, are can you do that? Good. Can you do that one more time? Cause I was looking, I was looking at a script. He did little violin fingers. Yeah, so we got to be close. Really close. Um, like size, we're really, really close. Uh, but yeah, no, we're going to we're going to be working on some new things coming out. Me and Chris just need to sit down, you know, between him running um, a top 50 restaurant in Sacramento and myself starting a new gig. There's lots of fun things, lots of cool guests coming up. So um, thank you to everybody who listens. Thank you, everyone who you're going to tell to listen. And until next time. Cheers. cheers. Geno Spirits. Hard stop. <laughs> <laughs>